can make some of us a little uncomfortable. But, uh, and I don't want to get too personal here, so we'll just kind of keep it general. But I want to talk a little bit about fear. Has anyone, has any of you guys ever been afraid? Yeah, I have. I have. Yeah, I've been afraid. You know what? Now, I don't want to get philosophical here, but what is fear? What is it? It's when you're scared of something, okay? Anyone else got an idea? That's good. That's good. You know, there's a big fancy word they use for different kind of fears. It's called phobia. You ever heard that word? Anybody know what arachnophobia is? What is that? A fear of spiders, yeah. Or claustrophobia. Yeah, well, I, I won't get it out this morning. You know what claustrophobia is? A fear of being in... In tight places, yeah. Do you know what phobophobia is? It's a real word. Phobophobia. Phobophobia. It's the fear of being afraid. No, I'm serious. It, it is real. It is a diagnosed psychological disorder, but it's phobophobia. So basically, it's just being afraid of being afraid. Now, let's think about that for a minute, and I want to tell you something. This is, this is my personal confession. I didn't used to really be bothered by a whole lot, but as I got older, I began to be very anxious in tight places as I got older. It's just interesting that if I get in a very, very confined place, I want a big door I can see, <laughs> you know? So, so we all have these things. But one of the things that the Scripture says, who is greater than all our fears? God and Jesus. Right? Well, is that right? Everybody agree? Well, let me tell you what the Scripture says because there's a lot of really bad stuff going on in our nation, isn't there? There's a lot of violence. There's a lot of pain and suffering and sorrow. And there's a lot of people that are afraid. And, and guys, there's, there's a healthy fear, a respect of danger, okay? But God does not want us to live in fear. And this is what he says. Let me turn over here because it's one of my favorite passages. The whole title of this chapter is given... Fear not, for I am with you. Now, isn't that a great promise? And listen to what Isaiah says in chapter 41. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And the righteous right hand of God it, it, it tells us that's his strength and his power. So all of God's strength and all of God's power is given to us so that we, and he'll hold us so that we won't be afraid. Can you guys remember that? Can you remember that simple little thing? There's going to be things in life that will scare us. They'll, they'll startle us. 
but remember the promise that God is with you. Can you remember that promise? Okay. And don't be a phobophobiac. Right? Let's pray together. Father, there are things in this world that can be scary. We admit that. We confess that. There are things that, uh, that many of us uh, uh, throughout this gathering here this morning, little things, big things that, uh, that may scare us, and, and we may be a bit afraid, and sometimes it's hard to confess that. But, Father, we cannot live in fear because you have not given us. The Scripture says that you have not given us the spirit of fear, but the spirit of power. So, Father, I pray that these children will rest in your strength, in your comfort, in your peace, and that they will know what it is to live without fear because you are with them. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hey, see you later. Does anyone else want to confess their fears this morning? Well, uh, in case you hadn't noticed, I am not Adam. But uh, certainly, uh, Adam uh, could use our prayers. He has been very ill for the last couple of days. And uh, we decided yesterday afternoon, I guess, that uh, probably best for him to remain at home and rest. And so... Uh, with less than 24 hours notice, here I is. But God is faithful, isn't he? God is faithful. And I am absolutely convinced that the Holy Spirit is fully prepared. And so we're going to rest in that confidence here this morning. It is Memorial Day. And we have paid tribute where tribute is due. You know, I'm always reminded on Memorial Day, and Connie and I and the family will make our way to uh, the cemetery this afternoon, and of course, we spend time there uh, remembering our own loved ones who have passed on, uh, family and friends, and uh, for some of us, it's a difficult day. But folks, what if you went to the cemetery and you had no hope? You see, some will gather, many will end up in a cemetery, not visiting, but as residents. And they went there with no hope. That ought to be an awakening for us today. We talked much in our prayer meeting this morning about being called and being prepared and what it means, a few comments on being called to be a pastor, called to be a preacher. There's three things that a preacher is always to be prepared for, and that's to pray, preach, and die. Always be prepared. And it occurred to me that the church is to be prepared also because you have been called. You have been called. You have been called out of the darkness into his glorious light. You have been called to be his witnesses. We all have been called to be his witnesses. And we are also, all of us, are to be prepared to give an answer to those who ask for the reason for our hope. So there's far more to this than just a preacher being called to preach. The entire body of Christ, every born-again believer, has been called. And there has never been a time, I will emphasize that, there has never been a time in our history when it's more important and more urgent 
than that we walk in our calling. Amen? The cemetery this afternoon, I will stop by my dad's stone and my mother's, and there will be a flag there. World War II, right next to him is my Uncle Dell. Also, World War II. A few stones over, a little ways away, is my great grandfather. A flag, Civil War. Not too far from that is a cousin, a bit, a bit distance, a flag, Spanish American War. And we go on and on with that list. I took the time this week, and I don't want to ramble. It's more important that we get into the message this morning, but I took a little time this week to look into history as, as this kind of a reminder, and uh, I found my dad's draft notice uh, registered at Osage County uh, when he was drafted, when he entered the service, and when he exited. Also found uh, my Uncle Dell. Uh, my dad went to France, and my Uncle Dell went to North Africa, uh, and then on into Italy and was in combat for something like 23 consecutive months. Folks, that's just a couple examples dear to my heart, but we all have some of those connections, I'm sure. Was it the greatest generation? I'm going to have to say, yeah, it still stands there. But I'm here this morning to tell you it's time for another great generation. Are you ready? It is time for the church to be the church in a time of peril, in a time of darkness, in a time of despair, a time of fear, a time of want, a time of worry. Brothers and sisters, we are the church and we are not to be held captive by fear and worry and concern and fret and angst. Are you ready to be the next great generation? Memorial Day is a time of year when we pause to remember those who laid down their lives for a nation, for family, for friends, for freedom. It was one week after Pearl Harbor that President Franklin D. Roosevelt said, those who long enjoy such privileges that we enjoy forget in time that others have died to win them, unquote. Freedom is never really free. It almost always is bought with blood. The biggest battle we are Americans, that we as Americans are facing today is the battle for what we might say is the soul of our nation. But I want to bring it down to a little more personal. It's about individual souls. Church, we, are not been, we have not been called to save a nation per se. We have been called to save and witness to its citizens, the individual souls. We do not have a political problem in this nation. Everybody say amen. Right. But we really don't. We don't have a social economic issue in this nation. We do not have a race issue in this nation. We have a moral crisis. 
We have a world that lives outside of a biblical worldview. And I want you to know that recent statistics say that only about 37% of pastors in the pulpit today have a solid biblical worldview. Tragedy. Tragedy. Well, there's a battle going on. There's a war we are engaged in. History has a way of repeating itself down through the nations, or down through the centuries. And today we're going to look at a, an occasion in Daniel's day. Daniel saw a lot of what we see today. The fifth chapter of Daniel describes the collapse of an entire culture. They became so comfortable and secure within the confines of their strong walls. But inside those strong walls was a crumbling society. Babylon made huge mistakes. They lost all sense of remembrance. They lost all sense of reality. And they lost all sense of restraint. By the way, that will be the first three preaching points. And then they had lost all sense of respect. Could I be talking about the nation today? Let's stand for the reading of God's word. We're going to be reading from Daniel chapter 5, and you will not have any notes on the screen this morning. Matter of fact, I neglected and even given you the text. If uh, uh, Everything happened pretty quick, and I was afraid to put Adam's notes up there because I probably wouldn't, I would get lost. <laughs> but I'm sure that uh, his final sermon in the series on the kingdom of God will... Uh, We'll wrap it up nicely when that opportunity comes for him to preach it. We are in Daniel chapter 5. We are going to read the first 12 verses. And then actually before the end, and we will get there, we will have captured the whole chapter. So Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 12. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and the silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then he brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. Fear. Fear. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. Can you get a visual of that? The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. 
The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. Verse 10. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers because of an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show you the interpretation. Father, we pray that you would bless your word this morning, that it would be held in utmost truth and priority in our hearts, and that, Father, through the course of this message, by the witness of your Holy Spirit, we will be changed. We will be changed into more of the people that you want us to be. In Christ's name, we do pray. Amen. And please be seated. Some 20 years passes between chapters 4 and chapter 5, so we got an unrecorded gap of history. Nebuchadnezzar moved off the scene, succeeded by his son, who reigned just a few years and then was assassinated by his own brother-in-law. He, in turn, ruled four years and was killed in battle. The next two rulers occupied the throne a very brief time, and the second of these was a man by the name of Nebonidus. Nebonidus. At this time, Nebonidus was king of the Babylonian Empire, and his son, Belshazzar, was king of the city of Babylon. Now, this is just a very, very quick overview to give you an arrival point at this feast. This explains why Daniel was named third ruler. He would have come behind Nebonidus and Belshazzar. While the events in chapter 5 are taking place, let's do this. While the events that we just read are taking place, King Nebonidus is already being held by the Medes and Persians as captive. They have surrounded the city. And King Nebonidus is already a prisoner. Now let's see what Belshazzar is up to. First of all, we will note that there is an arrogance in the feast. An arrogance in this feast. Belshazzar made a great feast for thousands of his lords, drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold, now this is important, vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem, be brought that the king and his lords, his wives, his concubines, might drink from them. So they brought in these golden vessels. Well, listen, we got to understand something. This is the first step in a total loss of honor and respect. This, this, this feast was to honor the gods, was not just to honor the gods of Babylon, which were multiple, 
He was not content just to honor his gods. He wanted to blaspheme the God of the Jews. And who's he? The one true and living God. Understand the arrogance of this. The temple vessels were not just cups and tableware. These were holy vessels. In the Jewish mind, they were sacred items set apart for the one true and living God. Belshazzar is proclaiming his God and God's are greater and deserve the tribute of the temple vessels. That's blasphemous. But even while this drunken orgy is going on, the Medes and the Persians, these other two formidable enemies, empires, are outside the city walls. In other words, the enemy had them surrounded. And think of the folly of this arrogant feast. Nebuchadnezzar was already in captivity. But Belshazzar is so confident in his own power, he is so confident in his own authority, he has risen to be a self-proclaimed God that he says, no worry, let's party on. Let's party on. Do we see this in America today? Is there a disrespect for things that are sacred and things that are holy? I seen a new fad. I well, got to keep moving here. I seen a new fad the other day, uh, and, and it's happening in Italy uh, or in in, in Rome, uh, Where am I at? Italy? Yeah, Venice. That's the one clear at the top, right? Yeah, been there, but I don't know where it's at. Uh, <laughs> where people are now swimming nude in the canals. And desecrating the holy churches along the way, the sites are painting. What is that? What what is that? It's just a total disrespect, a dishonor for anything that is decent and right and moral and true. What what you know? How far does the depravity of man get? Well, it gets as far as depravity will take you, and that's to the end of evil. I've been to Venice, and you wouldn't get me in one of those canals in a rubber suit. They're dirty. All right, go on. When a society has no honor for God, there will be no honor within that society. Is this nation so proud of itself that it no longer needs the God of heaven to reign over her? For as as it were in the days of Noah, so will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day of Noah. And they entered the ark, and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Point number two, revelation of his fears. We had the arrogance of the feast, now the revelation of his fears. And immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared, wrote on the plaster of the wall in the king's palace. Now we're going to, you can review that scripture, verses 5 through 12. The queen comes in and makes an announcement after all the enchanters and the magicians and the astrologers and all of the wise men, the wise called in, all of them come in and said, beats a wampum out of me. You know, they call on Daniel. Queen says, hey, this old boy used to tell your grandfather how to work. He used to explain things to your grandfather when he had all these wicked dreams. I bet he can answer your question. So guess who's coming to dinner? 
The uninvited guests have showed up. God has written the message on the wall. Daniel's brought in for the interpretation. Belshazzar doesn't know it, but his walls will no longer give him security. His wine will no longer provide his courage, and his witness will no longer have power and authority. It's all coming down around his ears because Belshazzar is in the presence of the Most High God, and his color changes, and he trembles, and he shakes, and his knees knock. This man is terrified no matter how big they think they are, no matter how much power they think they have, every one of these arrogant, godless leaders is one day going to stand in the presence of the Most High God and their color is going to change and they're going to tremble and their knees are going to knock and they're going to be terrified. When there is no fear of the living God, people become gods unto themselves. There's one that can interpret. You see, God always has his people in the, right, in the right place at the right time. He has them right where they need to be at the moment of crisis. Brothers and sisters, we are the Daniel of our day. We still have the message of truth. We still have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have the word of God. And if we proclaim it, God will honor it. And we are responsible for nothing more than being faithful to the word of God. Let the Holy Spirit have the rest. And we must believe it still has the power to change lives today. Well, we find Nebuchadnezzar, 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 Belshazzar. Come on, get these names. There's a whole bunch of them. Belshazzar, we find him in a pretty sorry state. But third point, he now receives the warning of his future. Let me read. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, that Daniel, I love that, one of the exiles of Judah whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretation and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed in purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing to the king and make known him to the, interpre the interpretation. O king, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples and nations and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down. Don't miss that. He was brought down from the kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys, and was fed the grass like the ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets it with whom he will. Brothers and sisters, please don't miss this. Please don't miss this. 
who is in charge. God is in charge, and don't ask me to explain with perfect clarity why so much evil exists in the world other than it dwells first in the heart of every man. There is evil amongst us. There is evil around us. There is evil before us, and there is evil behind us. But our God is on the throne. People, understand this, please. Our God is on the throne. Therefore, rejoice. Rejoice and be glad our God reigns. It's not ruled from the White House. It's not ruled from the Kremlin. It's not ruled from any other powerhouse of this world. Our God reigns and he will reign to the very end. Whew. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Uh-oh. Though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven, and the vessels of the house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords and your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. The warning of his future. Then from the presence the hand was sent and his writing and was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mini, mini, teko, parsin. This is the interpretation of the matter. God has numbered your days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Paris, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persian. Belshazzar, you're done. And I want you to know every leader in this world who is not a faithful follower of Jesus Christ is going to hear those same words. You're just not quite as hot as you thought you were. So Belshazzar gets the warning of his future. Pride always leads to a fall. Belshazzar had forgotten lessons from the past. Nebuchadnezzar was driven insane. And we read all of this. Excuse me, we referred to this. But in chapter 4, his mind was changed. And... And, and, and a beast's mind was given to him. And at the end of the days, Nebuchadnezzar finally lifted up his eyes to heaven and reason returned to him and he blessed the Most High. But look how far God had to take him to allow him to go before he would finally quit looking inwardly and start looking upwardly. Well, it's deja vu. And as my favorite intellect of the day, Yogi Berra, Said it's deja vu all over again. Belshazzar, your days are numbered. Belshazzar, you have been weighed in God's scales. Belshazzar, your kingdom will fall and be divided. Brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, America has forgotten the blood that was given for her liberty, and the church may well be apathetic in recognizing the blood that was given for her freedom and security. We have become a nation of freedom leeches. I, the, Brian, I wrote down this quote. It's amazing when you was talking about the tomb of the unknown soldier. Here rests in honored glory an American soldier known but to God. 
And I've read those words right off of that, right off of that stone. And I thought, man, how many sons never came home? How many parents and brothers and sisters and wives and children never seen their fathers again? And some of them never, ever knew what happened to them. But they were known to God. They were known to God. Point four and finally, the meeting of his faith. His fate. Excuse me, his fate. Arrogance of the feast, revelation of his fears, warning of his future, and the meeting of his fate. Verse 30, that night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed in the story. Isn't it amazing? The greatness and grandeur of his reign. And as a final testimony of this glorious and wonderful and powerful life, he's dead. That's it. He's dead. Judgment of a corrupt reign. What a final verse. Those three words, that very night. That very night. While Babylon partied with no sense of reality, with no sense of restraint, with no sense of remembrance, the armies of the Medes and Persians diverted the Euphrates River into a swampland, and they marched right into the city through a dry riverbed that ran under the walls and took the city. Isn't that amazing? The The Babylonians believed they were unconquerable. No one could get to them. Their walls were too high. Their walls were too thick. They were too well guarded. The river Euphrates protected them from oncoming armies. Well, while they were partying, the enemy walked through the gates. Walked through the gates. You see, there is a last night for every nation. But there will never be a last night for every believer. There is not a wall high enough or thick enough to stop God's judgment. And may I remind you that a nation that is currently killing about one million babies a year will face judgment. Will face judgment. Judgment. A failure to remember. Church, this is where it comes home to us. We observe communion here every week. And I am thrilled that we do that. It's important. It's critical. But do we take time to remember that table of remembrance, that cup, that little wafer, that seem in and of themselves insignificant, yet what they represent is all of the might and power and love and grace and mercy of our God. They tell the story of the one who shed his blood, that we could be forgiven, that our sins could be forgiven and forgotten, that we could be saved by the grace and mercy of God. In those elements, as simplistic as they are, is our hope because of what they represent. And we do it so we will not forget. 
lose touch with reality. You just create your own. Abandon all restraint. Loss of all respect. No moral foundation. No absolute truth reference. So Daniel preaches a quick three-point sermon, and I give those to you just as information but important. Daniel's sermon to the king was there is a consequence to corruption of power. There is condemnation for an attitude of pride, and there is certainly a coming punishment for those who deny the Most High God. We have seen violence unimaginable in the past week. Innocent lives taken so young, so violently, with no rationale, no reason. I'm not here to, to, to debate the, the firearms issue, and I mean that sincerely. But I'm here to tell you that no law given by man will stop the carnage. It takes a transformed heart. And listen to me, church, I'm stepping out. I'm stepping out. You cannot culturally teach a child that it's okay to murder a baby in his mother's womb and expect that child to grow up with any respect of human life. You cannot, once they abandon respect and honor of human life in the created order of God, the only thing that follows is violence and destruction. Brothers and sisters, we need a revival, not a no more legislature. <laughs> Children coming home, and yes, in this area. Being told, and this happened in Lawrence, I will tell you that, but a family testified to me. And it's not just there, I'm not. But they were told they need to stop calling their parents mom and dad. That was too gender specific. Yeah, right here in, in good old Midwest, Northeast Kansas. Where parents are speaking out at board meetings and called domestic terrorists. When the President of the United States tells parents, you need to stay out of your children's education. We know more about raising kids than you do. Where men now compete in women's sports and share the same bathroom and locker room. I mean, you could go on with this list. You could go on with this list, on and on and on. And it's at every level. At every level. But brothers and sisters... We have hope. We have a joy. We have a joy that says and gives testimony to our heart that everything is going to be okay because our God reigns. On this Memorial Day, I urge you to remember those who gave so much for the freedom we enjoy in what is still the greatest nation in the world. Amen. But more than that, and above that, remember the Christ, the Son of God, 
who gave everything he had. So that regardless of political season, regardless of secular rule and reign, we get to serve the winner. Because he is our Christ, the son of the living God. He is the head of the church, the savior of all who believe. And he is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is coming soon. So let us begin that rise on our knees. And let's flood our altars seeking our Father in heaven, crying out for revival in our land, praying for lost souls, praying for the church. We are in exciting and energizing times. We are the church, and we take no pride in contributing anything to it because all we brought was the sin that gave Jesus the purpose for dying. Do you know him this morning? Are you living in fear of what tomorrow may bring? Do the times scare you? Take heart. Take heart. Our God reigns. But if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, be very afraid. be very afraid but if you want to know how to get rid of that fear you want to know how to get rid of that doubt get rid of that worry and concern come see one of us up front this morning and we'll introduce you to the risen Savior who conquered sin and death Father thank you for the time that we've had this morning thank you Father for your word that still speaks to us very clearly these tragic but perfect examples of history show us that the heart of man has not changed at all it's still bent towards evil self-destruction self-elevation the heart of man is very much in love with himself but you will give us a new heart the moment of salvation and may that heart continue to long for you until we see you face to face for it's in Jesus name we pray Amen please stand as we have our song of invitation if you have a need this morning whatever that need may be I remind you that Christ is here to meet it he is present with us now in the form, the person of the Holy Spirit. And he can meet your greatest need, which is salvation. And he can meet whatever need you bring to him. I won't promise you how. I won't promise you when. But I will promise you he will. He will. Because he's faithful. Let's sing our song, please.